Hello and welcome again to another episode of NCC Audio, where we talk about all things audio, from careers to gear and sometimes your ears. Well, maybe not so much, except one time in episode two. But in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about songwriting and how to get a song from zero to published. And to help me walk me through this um, adventure of songwriting, we are going to be talking with Nick Check, a singer-songwriter himself and the lead singer for the band The Dead Century. Hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going well. Glad to be here. So, Nick, what we're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about songwriting, right? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to start off with a little story about, you know, Nick Check and The Dead Century. Have, have you heard of the thing called the groovy music Thursday. Uh, I think I have. Yeah. So the radio program that I engineer is called Catholic answers live. And we have bumper music coming in and out of the different segments. And on Thursday, after the second hour, after the second hour, hard break, we use the song that you wrote and I just used the solo and every week everyone starts shouting, play the groovy music. I don't know why they call it the groovy music, but your song is, um, what's the name of that song again? Uh, waste your time. I think, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the solo from waste your time and, <laughs> and everyone calls it the groovy music. And so everyone listening, Nick Check is the writer behind the Groovy Music Thursday. It's a high honor. I'll I'll take Groovy. I've been called I've been called much much worse. So <laughs> I think Groovy Music is a great place to start. And then I'll play a sample of that here. Go for it. It's a cool bit. It's 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 a fun solo to play live. It's short, it's sweet, um, it's fast. <laughs> everything, everything you want in a stupid pop solo. And another thing fun about that, another thing that was fun about that was I recorded the drums in the president's office, which is your dad's office. <laughs> yeah, no, some good work there for sure. It was fun. Cause, so I set up my um, recording equipment and then I sent everything I recorded to your audio engineer and then he just lined everything up. Yeah, no, we 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 pieced that one together uh, pretty haphazardly, uh, and it, it, I'm I'm happy with how it, it did come together at the end. Um, but for sure, that was that was our one of our first real stabs at at the recording process, or at this at this process that you were talking about. You know, mm-hmm. getting a yeah. song from from its nascence into into circulation. Uh, and there were a lot of a lot of misfires, a lot of learning opportunities, mm-hmm. um, and it, it it did it did come together at the end. That was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, no, I loved that piece, and then just. Let's uh, backing up a bit. How did you get into mm, playing music in the first place? Was guitar your first instrument, or how did that happen? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I played recorder like every other every other small <laughs> child. Annoyed my parents. Um, I picked up trumpet mm. in uh, in grade school and stuck yeah. with it for a handful of years. Um, oh, you started out as a cool band kid. Yeah, Sounds well, like. no, not, not not a very not a very cool one, and, and not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> it was it was such that it was never it was never obvious. It was obvious that I was not gonna really make a go of things in high school. Um, but it got me it got me interested at a at a really basic level in in music and in music theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, 
I, I guess I always I listen to rock music and, and folk music a little more than I did anything like band or orchestral or anything. Uh, with like you know that's cool stuff for sure. But yeah. at the time it was it was into guitars. Um, so my my mom got my dad uh, a really junky uh, Silvertone guitar for his birthday uh, with the uh, with the um, expectation I think that he would never learn to play it. Uh, but he did. I mean, he, he learned a couple chords, uh, learned a couple songs, uh, and then he taught me a couple chords and a couple songs, and I couldn't put it down. Um, it was pretty wild. It was wow. pretty wild. It's. It, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure other musicians uh, have have identical stories where you, you just you get that thing that mm-hmm. resonates that you can express yourself mm-hmm. um, in a way that you you didn't know you could before, uh, and it, that's so powerful and so intoxicating. Um, we're, we're it, it pulls you through that moment where like you suck. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're, you're trying to figure out chords and, and yeah. you're trying to make your fingers move in the right spot and you cannot do it. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Uh, but you don't care because yeah. it's so, it's so captivating. So it just, it sucks you on right through. Yeah. That, uh, that's everything about music. Just starting out is difficult to, and in, very meticulous on how you learn every little thing. And it's hard to push through that point. But once you push through that point, you can just be as creative as you want. And that's such a good feeling. For sure. No, I, I and, and I was, I guess I was, I was, I was spoiled by it. I'm, I'm trying to pick up uh, piano now. Yeah. Um, which is, which is wildly different. Like I, I can find my way around a guitar and a bass guitar uh, really well. Uh, but piano is an entirely different landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's coming slowly and it's frustrating because i think I'm, I'm pretty good at other things yeah uh and so like i i know i'm an okay musician in certain respects and and to be able to um it's it's a humbling learning experience i guess all yeah. over again, to, <laughs> to be totally lost and, and trying to figure out and trying to make your fingers move in weird ways it's it's a lot of fun yeah do you remember writing your first song um no I mean, maybe. Uh, <laughs> is there one song in particular that stands out to you as like one of your first ones ever that you're just like, I love this song or just, you know what I mean? I mean, that that's probably a, a slightly different story. I, okay. I had cooked up a, a, a couple original pieces back in like seventh grade. And I, okay. I, I'm not sure if I would be able to play them now. Um, <laughs> just because like I, I, I didn't write the lyrics down. Uh, mm-hmm. which is probably for, for the past. Um, and they were just, you know, like power chords and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was, yeah, for sure. It was, it was a, it was a good learning experience. Um, I wrote two really bad songs, but they were mine, you know? Yeah. That was something. Um, the first song I think I ever was, was uh, proud of was uh, a tune that wound up on that Nevada Sun EP, uh, a song called Houston. Houston, um, okay. Yeah, I wrote the melody for it in a dorm room at the University of Wisconsin. I was visiting a friend. Uh, we were um, hanging out before some party uh, that night and some guy had an electric guitar. Um, and you know, a handful of my friends were sleeping, sleeping off uh, the night before, uh, getting, ready for the, <laughs> getting ready for the night out. Yeah. I, um, I was reading a bit and then I found this guitar and I just started noodling around and, um, and that, that melody hit me. Uh, and at the same time, the melody hit me. This, this image of uh, this guy in a hotel room, um, sort of isolated from things around him, uh, came to my mind. Um, and it, I just sort of stuck with it. It, it, it took me a while to, to flesh the whole thing out. Uh, but it, it, it bloomed into something that I'm, I'm 
considerably proud of. Yeah, I really like that song as well. And people can listen to that on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spotify or Apple or wherever you. Oh, cool. That's also on Apple Music. Yep, yep, yep. So going from that song to let's move to a little more current song. Your latest songs you have released are the are you releasing them as single singles or are they part of an EP? Right, singles for now. Singles for now. Correct. Mm-hmm. We have a couple that we're we're releasing as singles. We have an EP in the works. Some really fine songwriting in this one. Uh, I'm excited to bring it to fruition. Um, it's 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 more uh, these these last two singles and this EP that we're working on now have been more collaborative uh, than than my other songwriting mm-hmm. had been because I have a group of talented musicians around me now who are who are guiding me through it. Were they your ideas for these songs, or how does that work? Yeah, I still do. I still do the music and the lyrics. I'll okay. Together, I'll, I'll, I'll put a demo together. Uh, sometimes it's just an acoustic guitar. Sometimes I flesh it out a bit more if I have a, an idea in my mind, and then I bring that to the rest of the rest of the band. Okay. And they're able. They're able to take it in fantastic directions. That's awesome. I had a, a quick question about like how do you even start writing a song do you just play some chords or do you play a melody first do you write out lyrics first what's your step behind that yeah no i, I as we were joking about earlier i i wish there were a magic formula or yeah. or a set steps that i would go through every single time some some songwriters do this uh, from mm-hmm. what i understand nick cave is super regimented he you know shows up at the office he has an office he shows up at the office <laughs> and he writes and then he goes home jack white is is kind of the same way from what i understand he was uh, not this this past album, but the one before it. Yeah, wrote most of the album without instruments. Just sat down. He rented a room in uh, in Memphis, right? Is that where Third Man is? or Nashville, rather? Where yeah. Third Man is, and uh, we just walked into the room and had you know blank ledgers and and just wrote out the music. Oh wow, which is pretty which is pretty intense. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rivers Rivers Cuomo, the guy who um, who fronts Weezer, mm-hmm. apparently has a. a database of, of ideas which I, I think is kind of cheap for what it's worth but it's, it's an interesting idea right he's got a group of lyrics that he has categorized by you know rhyme scheme or or tone or, mm. or feel he's got different melodies or chord progressions or sometimes he'll run like an auto-generated chord progression oh wow try to do something with it and then wow. he'll just like piecemeal these things together um i am i am less organized yeah which is not I, I hope to say that I'm less disciplined. I do like to spend a lot of time attacking songs, writing songs, mm-hmm. uh, but but I come at it from from different angles. So I'll, I'll have a an idea, uh, a concept for a song that I like, and I'll, I'll file that away. I'll write it down. I'll have uh, a couple lines that strike me, uh, pieces of, of sort of like one-off poetry, which I think would be okay. lyrics. Yeah, uh, or I'll come up with a, a, a tune, which I can't stop humming, and then I'll try to put that down. Uh, and then, and then sometimes uh, the, connect, the connections between these will become apparent to me. Okay, yeah. So it's a little mixture of everything of writing some lyrics down and coming up with a chord or having a little melody in your head. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you what it mostly is. It's mm-hmm. writing. It's writing. It's just doing it. It's sitting down and, okay. and writing it and writing bad songs. Not yeah. Be, you, you cannot be afraid to write bad songs because it's going to happen. Uh, and, you know, if I, <laughs> I have, I have a, a giant book in my room, which is just, you know, a, a verse and a chorus 
for, for songs, which, which I'm, I'm happy I gave up on because they're just, they're absolute garbage. I wasn't <laughs> happy with them at the end of it, but like, that's fantastic. You know, you, you work yeah. out, you work out the, the 99 other ways not to make a light bulb right before you, before you stumble on the real thing. Yeah. I have the, I don't know, it's hard for me. I've always wanted to write a song, but so I'm mainly uh, well drummer, but then also a piano player and I have just tons of chord progressions, but I've never really sat down to like flush them out to like have it like, you know, the intro, the chorus, the verse, the whatnot. It's something I hope I can work on in the future. But I love hearing your story on how you actually, you know, you sit down and actually make it happen. And it turned out to be really good songs. A lot of it's a lot of it is passive. You know, it's, it's holding the ideas in your head. Um, OK, I, I maybe this is just a, a personal defect. I. I can't keep my mind off of some song ideas mm-hmm. um, if when, once I get going on them. So I'll, I'll have, I'll have like five song ideas in my head throughout the week, sort of constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe one will, I'll stick with. And then like that I'll get recycled into the next week when I'll get the five new other song ideas. Um, and it's sort of like these things just sort of bounce around your head. Um, that, that's sort of like passive Sitting with something passively is is probably just as important as as working actively at it. Awesome. And um, sorry, I just I wasn't saying anything. Also, because there's a lot of noise going on in my house right now. You probably hear the dog walking around and like the <laughs> family. So let's transition into a song that you have recently um, written, and let's talk about Bombay Beach. And just let's start about and let's talk about the process of that, like. Just a quick, simple, where did you get the idea behind that? And how did that progress into recording? And then how did that progress into mixing and then mastering and publishing? But we can, we'll take it step by step. So first step, how did you come up with the idea behind Bombay Beach? And how did the writing process look for that? Uh, this, this goes back quite a ways, but in an effort to irrigate the Imperial Valley, uh, which, which, if you've seen it, is just this massive stretch of desert. It, it, it takes some real ingenuity and, and a little bit of insanity to figure, like, you're going to make a farmland here. Uh, they, they, <laughs> yeah. they decided, we're going to irrigate this thing. So they did. Um, and they, they, they subdued nature uh, to a certain point. Um, we're able to, to bring in a, a ton of water. We're able to grow things. Uh, and, and it went well. For a, for a long time, but then the unthinkable happened and there was a massive rainstorm in the California desert. So what happens? These irrigation canals start to overflow uh, and the farmers are worried that they're going to lose their crops, that they're going to get flooded out. So they open up the irrigation canals and water runs down. Um, so it all floods into uh, this basin, this dry basin, which mm-hmm. may have been uh, a lake in, in times past geologically, uh, but it floods back in and it, it fills it up and, and they create this massive sea in the middle of the California desert, mm. um, which is, which is wild. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a wonky thing to happen by accident. So uh, a couple of forward thinking capitalists think, Hey, there's money to be made here. So they uh, buy out the property around the Salton sea in different developments. One of which was Bombay beach. And they put a lot of money into building these resort communities. Um, but then another giant rainstorm happens. So, uh, as these as these resort communities are are being built, they get flooded out. A lot of money gets lost in this investment. Um, some people are stuck living there. Uh, they don't necessarily want to be, but you know they, they have nothing else to do. Um, and then things like just kind of go from bad to worse progressively uh, over the next fifty or so years. Uh, so they they stocked this thing 
with uh, tilapia and uh, which is fine like it's cool to go fishing right yeah uh but the tilapia had no natural predators in this lake so tilapia uh do what they do and the thing gets way overpopulated such that they deplete the oxygen in the uh in the water they, so they, they kind of suffocate themselves as it were which is wild uh so there's a massive die-off and then the die-off, all, all these rotting fish in the water causes like this weird botulism to oh form. So the water's no good anymore. Uh, I mean, it was, it was always kind of like alkaline-y because uh, yeah. of the fertilizer and stuff. Um, but there's a massive bot- botulism outbreak. It kills off more fish. Uh, and then the whole process starts again. Uh, so the tilapia overexpand. They deplete <laughs> the oxygen. And so if you go to Bombay Beach now, uh, yeah. you walk up and it's a giant, it's a white, a white beach. And you think it's sand until you get close and you realize it's like, just years and years and years of, of pulverized fish bones. Oh so thing, my goodness. It's surreal. Ew. It's creepy. Yeah, right? <laughs> so it's a lot of like abandoned houses and ruins uh, and it's hot as hell because it's the California desert and there's just a, a beach of death all around. Oh my gosh. It's, so it's, a, it's something out of a, of a dreamscape. It's really something else. Yeah. Um, so we visited this place. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, what well, you're supposed to do. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. To, to, to see the sights. And... Uh, and I looked around at some of the people who were still living there and I thought, boy, there's, there's gotta be a story to be told here. Wow. They um, still live. <laughs> yeah. So why not write a song about it? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what we did. I, uh, I like writing songs from the, uh, perspective of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, writing personal songs is, um, I, I don't think I'm as good at it. Yeah. Uh, but, but also there's, there's, there's a safety in writing songs about characters because you're able to explore ideas which invariably probably are yours. I mean, they're coming from you, right? Yeah. Uh, but but in, the, in, in the safety of, of another person. So uh, let's say Bombay Beach is, um, I mean, the song's about a character who's stuck there. He's yeah. suffering uh, from, uh, or from regret in a certain sense. There's, there's an aspect of loneliness. There's also an aspect of like digging your heels in, um, at, at, you know, shaking your fist at God for, for ways that you think he's wronged you. Um, and I, I don't think I'm as angry or, or as vengeful or, or spiteful as the guy in the song Bombay Beach. But at a certain mm-hmm. point, I mean, we all suffer from that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a cool way to explore, um, explore that side of the, the human condition without, uh, without getting too confessional or, or going crazy. Yeah, it's very universal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, it, yeah, so we, we, we fleshed out some lyrics. I, I brought some lyrics uh, about this guy. Uh, wound up keeping a, a good part of it. Again, like you have to write uh, a bunch of a bunch of bad songs before you get a good one. So, wrote a long list, uh, condensed the story, took out the things I didn't think I needed, um, mm. and and then from there uh, started working on the uh, the melody. Um, figured a dirty blues song made the most sense, uh, just given the <laughs> just given the like the feel of the lyrics. Yeah, you wanted you wanted it to be angry. Um, you want it to be simple, sort of driving, yeah. sort of forward, enough to let the instruments do the talking when they needed to. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it wound up coming together really quickly. I, I think when I finally sat down to write the thing, I, I, I knocked it out in about uh, four hours. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. And so you finished this song and all the band members liked it. And now the next step is like, all right, so how do we record? record this song so other people can listen to it around the world right exactly exactly and it's 
it's it this this question always sounds easier than than it is because we all have an i so we we played the song live a bunch of times and we mm-hmm. we're coming up with a, a pretty solid arrangement um but we're a four piece and yeah. uh, as you know uh, in your work with recording um it's not always as easy as like setting one microphone in front of each instrument and calling it a day right <laughs> you gotta, so 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 sitting down we, we sat down in a room for a while and and uh with with our own you know set of junkie microphones yeah um and tried to build that a demo and, and yeah to, yeah to think, think intentionally like what exactly do we want this guitar to sound like what exactly do we want the drums to sound like how many guitars do we want doing each part you know that kind of thing um no that's a great idea and you you planned out the recording before setting into the recording studio. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's perfect. So <laughs> well, exactly. as much as you can. Exactly, exactly. Um, so so we wound up doing uh, drums and bass and vocals in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place in Northeast Minneapolis called Sovereignty, uh, mm-hmm. which does excellent work if you're in the area. And then how did you pick them? Uh, well, we stumbled across their studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, during a music festival kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Minneapolis, North Minneapolis, or Northeast Minneapolis, rather, has a, a summer festival called Art of World, which mm-hmm. is a, uh, it's like a music festival. A lot of um, breweries have showcases, uh, and then a lot of art studios and galleries and things open up, and you can walk around. It's a blast of a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the places in the area was the Sovereignty Place, and we walked in, and there was a live band performing, and the way they were mixing this live band was so fantastic um and at the time we were looking around for studios in the area and mm-hmm. ran into justin the guy who ran it and uh, the rest is rest is history oh nice so uh that's some good news for other recording studios out there just get out there <laughs> go to festivals do stuff like get your name out there for sure for sure no i mean like running into people yeah. is is 90 percent of how things happen <laughs> yeah we we uh we met our our drummer our the current guy who plays drums for us rob um, because he was just in the same building as we were when we were practicing, uh, we needed we needed a drummer to fill in for uh, a, you know a few months of playing. Uh, and we hadn't found one yet, and then this guy walks in carrying a snare drum. And oh like, hey, my goodness! Hey, do you play drums? And he said, "Yes, I do." And then we said, "Do you want to be in a band?" Said, yes, I do. Wow! <laughs> All right. I've been looking for that here. Like I play the drums too, but I haven't had time so far well i can always make time but it's been pretty intense uh you know keeping a three-year-old and a seven-month-old alive but hopefully in the future i will be able to start playing the drums again it's something that i quite miss dearly yeah so okay that's awesome so you start recording and at the sovereignty recording studios correct yep sovereignty record oh sovereignty records or recording yeah, I, yeah i'm actually not sure what it's called sovereignty uh, something I yeah I'll, I'll put it in the link so people yeah, can get check it, get it out it, get it right in post <laughs> so how long was the recording process how did how long did it take to finish this single bombay beach we knocked out we knocked out the drums and the bass and the vocals for bombay beach in about half a day okay because um, i mean nice. it's it's a pretty straightforward song all things considered um mm-hmm. there was there was a little bit of experimentation on the on the side of the drums um and we wanted to give ourselves a, a little bit of time to do that uh, so we wound up using two different kicks in in the song one which, oh really you know, okay yeah one which which kind of drives it the one on the kit that rob was playing yeah and then we went back afterward and layered it with mm-hmm. a uh like a really big sort of almost like country sounding 
tubby uh, drum to give it some like real front end, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then like That's layered cool. those two together. Wow. Yeah. It, it is a super intense bass drum kick. So <laughs> that's cool. You can just keep layering and make it more intense. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that was good. Um, past that, we did a little bit of uh, experimentation with uh, sort of like auxiliary percussion. Yeah. Uh, tambourines and, and bells and things. And then uh, played around with backup vocals and harmonies and, and whatnot. Yeah. Great. So you went through and you finished the recording. And so after recording, then the engineer has to mix it did you use the same engineer for mixing we did yeah no and he was super patient with us we we wanted to do the guitars ourselves um mostly because uh, that's the spot where we'd want the most time Mm -hmm. um and you didn't want to be rushed at the recording studio we didn't want to waste his time you know oh yeah and, and trying different things we had a good sense of what we wanted like what sounds we were going for but you know having that freedom is is worth a lot so we wound up recording those ourselves at a um, an empty uh, auditorium at a local university. <laughs> wow, which which worked out pretty well. That, that, was, cool. that was another kind of like serendipitous thing. We just had the space was open. We walked in. We set up. We started recording. At one point, the uh, one of the maintenance guys, who we've since become really good friends with, because we practice there now, and he'll pop in and listen. But he what? shows up and he goes, "Hey guys, I'm sorry to say this." And you know, Austin and I look at each other. And we're like, "Oh crap!" Here he goes. And he goes, I, "I'm sorry to say this, but I gotta ask, what kind of rig are you using? Because that tone is fantastic." He, says, <laughs> he hangs out for a bit and we're jamming, and he would talk about the song. Yeah, so it was that was that was a lot of fun. And no one kicked you out and be like, "Hey, what are y'all doing in here in this random auditorium?" If you act like you know what you're doing, some people will just let you go. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So so Justin was really patient as we yeah. as we got all our our pieces together there, um, and then we we sent it in. Uh, we sat down with uh, not Jason, Justin. We sat down with Justin uh, right before he started mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, and listened back to the rough mix and then gave him just a ton of notes. Um, yeah. And I think that was really, really helpful. Uh, I, I'm sure that you have had uh, similar experiences from the, the mixing side of things where mm-hmm. someone will come to you and, and give you a loose idea of what they want, but there's like 800 different ways to interpret what exactly they're saying. And yes. then you, give it, you give it their yeah. best, your best go. And then they come back and they're like, well, this isn't what I wanted at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that happens so much in the recording process. And it's mm-hmm. not because the engineers don't know what they're doing. Like they're super competent 10 times out of 10. They, they can do what you want. You mm-hmm. just have to explain it to them. And yeah. that gap, yeah. that gap is, is, is huge. And I, I can't say like I've, I've fully bridged it. It's, it's why I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about the recording process, but to have that vocabulary, mm-hmm. to have that sort of like studio engineer or production vocabulary that you can come in and say, this, this sounds a certain way and here's how exactly I think we can fix it. Yeah, that makes a great, yeah, that makes for a great audio engineer who is able to speak the language of the artists and to interpret what they're saying. It, it is difficult, but it's also what makes it fun and exciting to deliver the product that the artist really wants and wants to hear. And so you go from your mixing and usually the next step is once you have that mix locked in, you're like, I love this. Let's get it ready for airplay for the commercial. And that the next step is usually going into mastering. Is that, is that what you did next? Correct. Yep. You got it. And that's where, that's where you came in. 
<laughs> I was I was so surprised why <laughs> you picked me, but it was I guess because you just you know me and the mastering process is pretty confusing if you've never gone through it before so you're like why do you even need to do mastering in the first place no it's true i i i'll admit i was in i was in kind of a similar boat um justin said that he does not like to master his own Mm. stuff he Mm -hmm. he was very clear about that Uh, and i thought that was kind of a funny thing to say because i i thought it was just you know you make things louder you kind of balance out the levels you throw a bus reverb on the whole thing and call it a day. Uh, and, and it is certainly more complex than that. And I, and I understand that having a second opinion to come in uh, is, is so, so helpful. Having an, having an, an yeah. objective party uh, in the mixing process is helpful. Uh, and then having an objective party, a separate objective party, who can listen to the, the mix and say, here's where I really think the song needs to be, uh, or like here's the, the exact places where I think the song needs to come up. Yeah. No, kudos to Justin, because a lot of times audio engineers will be like, I'll mix it and master it for you, mainly because, you know, they want the both payments. But really, after mixing, you should hand it off to a mastering engineer exactly so another set of ears can listen to it, like a fresh set who hasn't been listening to it, and they can really give you a better understanding of like where it sounds really good or where it could have been tweaked a little bit from a third-party opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. A, a perfect analog probably is uh, when you're when you're proofreading something you've written, mm-hmm. and you can go over it a hundred times, and you don't realize that you've you know used the wrong kind of two, uh, like T O O or something. Or yeah, T O. And you know what you you know what you meant because you wrote the darn thing, and so yep. you just glaze over it, and you think it's right, but it's a glaring problem, and it's right there. And then yeah, that's something that a fresh set of eyes will pick up right away. Uh, it's it's kind of a similar thing in in any kind of audio world where, where a fresh set of ears can come in and say, well, here's your problem. It's, it's easy <laughs> and they'll fix it for you. Yeah. So I went through Bombay beach and I, and I did exactly what you said. The final EQ, just small little subtle uh, EQ movements, like wide frequency band. And then I did an overall limiter, which didn't hit it too hard just to tame some of those peaks down and then you're the one who suggested doing like an overall reverb to the final mix track. And I never really thought about doing that idea, but then I applied it and it really just kind of lifted the song up just a little more. And it was a great little idea. And then after that, I had this mastering plugin, which was really cool. It was this Abbey Rhodes mastering plugin from Waves. And it also has like, you could do subtle EQ moves, but this time it let you dive into just a center center channel, and you can do some EQ limiting compression to the center channel or to the stereo field. So just to that, um, the left and the right, like the you know on the edges of the stereo field, and you could also tweak the EQ compression and limiting on that. And there's a lot of little things you can tweak. So I was a little nervous if I tweaked it too much, it was going to come out just like overly compressed or overly like muddy but i just did a lot of different eq sounds and i was doing a lot of a b back and forth and then at the very end i just did an overall multi-band compressor limiter and just to give it its final boost and then we went back and forth a few times on like i did three different versions for bombay beach and going listening back from version three to version one 
I felt like I made just tiny subtle changes, but it's crazy how all these little tiny subtle changes really add up to a bigger, a big change that you can, you know, you could really hear a difference. I don't know. What did you think about it? Yeah, no, I, I think we're on the exact same page there. Tiny, tiny, tiny changes wind up being worth way more than the sum of the parts, uh, especially especially in, at the mastering stage is, is something I'm learning. Yeah, and so <laughs> I sent Nick the final version, and the band gave it the stamp of approval, and it was a weight lifted off my shoulders, and I really enjoyed the experience. It really helped me to critically listen to the music and hear how each um, effect of the plugins really affected the song. But it turned out really great, I thought. It was just like pumping. I blasted it in my car, on my speakers. This Bombay Beach song it's a pretty intense song to listen to, so I'll probably play a snippet of it here at the end, if that's okay, Nick. Yeah, go for it. Cool. And, okay, so once you have the final master, the song is now ready to be released to the public. So what do you do next after, once you, what, what did you do once you had the master in your hands? At this point, we are in the exciting world of music distribution. Music distribution. Right, 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 right. And we are living in a, a real golden age for independent musicians in respect to a number of things, probably, but, but distribution, certainly. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get a polished song from, from your computer onto uh, a digital, uh, d- digital service like Spotify or, or Apple Music. So easy. Um, yeah, I have no idea how it works, though. <laughs> Could you explain how do you how in the world do you get it onto one of those platforms? Yeah, so you you go through a distribution service. Uh, Spotify okay. uh, used to, I think, uh, accept independent submissions, uh, but for for uh, some pretty obvious reasons, probably uh, they they shied away from that. Uh, they mm-hmm. probably just got inundated with you know half half or substandard stuff. Oh, that'd be um, yeah. I can see yeah. how that could get annoying. <laughs> Yeah, let, okay. leave that for SoundCloud. Uh, so, <laughs> so you go through a distribution service that they recognize, and I will not be able to name them all. Uh, there, there's tons of them. So, CD Baby is probably the most recognized uh, mm-hmm. name. Uh, DistroKid's got to be right up there. Um, we wound up using a service called Amuse uh, for Bombay Beach, which is a free service. Which what? Attractive, yeah, attractive because it was free. Um, How do you spell that? A M U S E. Oh, that's what I spelled. Cool. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It's uh, it. They're kind of a, a younger company. Yeah. How are they free though? Right. So <laughs> they, so their their business model sort of operates on the assumption that they'll have first crack at signing some of the people who use them. Uh, and I think they have okay. a slightly bigger presence in European markets. Okay, uh, but but uh, yeah, no, that's that's kind of their that's kind of their assumption. I don't know how it's panning out for them. I haven't seen their numbers, but they're still in business, and okay. our songs are still up, so we're in good shape there. Okay, great. So these distribution services, they have to go through and vet all of the music going into that they're going to put on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatnot. Correct, correct, and not necessarily vetting it for for quality or content. Okay, uh, but they they, they want to make sure that the file is good, that you're giving them a, a decent, like lossless uh, piece of music or piece of yeah. piece of file. Uh, they want to make sure that the art you're submitting is 
meets the standards that Spotify and Apple and Amazon set. Okay. So, so they, they, they more or less make sure that what you give them matches what the music stores or the uh, streaming services uh, demand from, from submissions. Okay, perfect. And so um, you submit it to the distribution service. You picked Amuse. And then... That's not like necessarily a shout out for Amuse. Okay. If you're yeah. interested in other services, th there are pros and cons of each. And at the end of the day, you just kind of have to do your research. Okay. Uh, but there are, there are no shortages of articles online from musicians. On how to pick a distribution yeah, service. Which, which just lay out the pros and cons for you. And, and they each have different pricing models. And mm -hmm. you get certain things with some and you don't get it with others. And you just have to sit down and, and think, uh, think what you want. Yeah, that's exactly how it works for uh, hosting a podcast. There's a bunch of different podcast hosting sites, and they all each offer different things. And it's kind of funny. Yeah, you upload your podcast. You they tell you what you know. You have to do the correct um, photo and logo for it, and then they do everything that's needed to get it up on running on Apple Podcasts. And they all have different <laughs> services you have to offer. So it's kind of it's pretty much similar. A uh, little different terminology. But okay, so you get it on the distribution service, and they, and that site approves everything, and you either pay for them or you do whatever you want, and then they launch it on to wherever it needs to go. Yep, yep. You agree on a release date, and provided uh -huh. that your music meets uh, the criteria of the distribution service and of the stores to whom they're distributing, uh, then it then it goes live on that day. Wow, and you can you can listen to it in real time online, which is pretty wild. It's it's, you, it's an exciting feeling, and you share it with all your friends and your family and the entire world. Yep, you pester everyone you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of these CD, um, some of these distribution services, do they also? I guess it depends. Do CD releases or L vinyl releases and whatnot? Exactly. So uh, it depends on on who you choose. Obviously, but okay. some have yeah. some have options for for printing out CDs. Uh, there are a handful which have limited run vinyl pressing. If that's if that's your thing, if your okay. if your fan base is very hipster, <laughs> um, which is cool, which is cool. Uh, yeah, no, it just it just depends on on what exactly you're looking for. We're we're a small enough game at this point yeah. that uh, we want to keep our overhead as low as possible. Exactly. And, um, and none of our friends listen to physical CDs, as far as we know. So yeah, you know, yeah, keeping it keeping it online's a okay. Yeah, and so now. You have music. Uh, how much music do you have on, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and Google Music and everything else? Shucks. Well, come the end of February, we'll have three singles. Uh, no, I guess four if you count. Mm -hmm. uh, if you count um, one more year, uh, and then an EP. That's cool. So, so not not an exhaustive canon quite yet. Okay, no, but that's great. Um, We're doing it. <laughs> and then right now, the band name is just The Dead Century, or is it Nick Check and The Dead Century? Just The Dead Century. Just The Dead okay, Century. Okay, cool. So if anyone's listening, you want to hear Nick's music, go to wherever you listen, wherever you go to listen to your music on live streaming and just type in The Dead Century, and you'll be able to hear his most recent releases, right? Absolutely. And if you're near a computer on February 28th, uh, February you'll be able 28th. to hear uh, a brand new song. And is that called Realign? It is. Sweet. 
All right, Nick. So you have your music released on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Amazon Music, and all the other live streaming services. So after you have it launched and ready to go, you want the whole world to hear it. So what's the best way to get your music out there? I mean, what what are your goals behind that? Right. So once the music is live on uh, digital streaming services, that is when the uh, the real fun begins. Uh, so that's when you you start reaching out to radio stations. Uh, you start reaching out to uh, your friends, your family, anyone who can who can spread the word, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, that's yeah. No, it's just it's just a lot of a lot of talking to people. Um, ideally, you want to get this going. From what I understand, uh, about a month prior to when the song actually comes out. Okay. Uh, radio is like having a uh, a file on hand well before the song actually is is live. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just, it's doing some research in your area, you know, listening to radio stations in your area, figuring out where your song might be a good, a good fit, uh, trying to find, uh, you know, local states. I, I, I would say like working out, uh, from, from your hometown makes, makes a great deal of sense. So, you know, we're in Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, we try to, you know, hit all the, the Minnesota radio stations that we can, wow. who we think will be sympathetic. And then, you know, moving on to Wisconsin or to Illinois or the Dakotas or whatever, um, or to Canada. Oh, wow. That's intense. And then, um, did you get on the radio stations on any of them? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the final count was at the end yeah. of the day. Uh, and we didn't follow up on spins super religiously. So it's hard to know exactly like how much radio play we got. Uh, but a, a decent handful of college stations, uh, picked us up. A, we got some radio play on some, some decent, uh, decent local channels, uh, which have, you know, local music shows. Yeah. Uh, they, they were able to give us some love. Uh, we had a, uh, a good run on a Canadian radio station actually did a, an on-air interview with them. That was, that was kind of exciting. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some Italian radio stations, I think picked us up. Um, it was, so yeah, no, it was, it, it wound up working out pretty well. It was a lot of fun. Wow. No, that's awesome. And so another way to promote yourselves, I'm, I'm sure is just playing live music at events. Definitely. Yep. How's that going? Playing live. Uh, we don't do it enough, um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're definitely getting better about it. Yeah. Trying to build relationships with other bands is super important. Just, you know, getting as connected as you can in the local scene. Yeah, definitely. It, you it's, just it's, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like the, the, the music super fans, as it were, the people who will go out and promote your music to other people. Um, they're at yeah. live shows. Yeah, so you just have to build that relate those relationships up and just really continue to grow your live shows. I, I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. We we have a, a handful of of really good friends we've made that way. Uh, it's just it's super rewarding. It's super gratifying. And at the end of the day, too, you know, like sharing your music in that live format is that's mm-hmm. kind of like what it's really all about. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you could have um, with with your your bandmates as you're playing that live moment. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah. Well, I hope that people just continue to find you, the Dead Century, and come out to listen and to support you and your band. And it's, it's, I think it's awesome. I'm going to play a song here at the end to close. But hey, Nick, thank you so much uh, for coming on the NCC Audio Podcast to talk about how, talk about songwriting and all the different processes it takes to get it to be released on streaming services and what you need to make it happen to get on radio airplay and moving forward with letting the whole, getting the whole world to listen to your music. 
<laughs> or at least trying. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me. Well, yeah, I had a lot of fun here. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. So once again, um, people can reach out to you at thedeadcentury.com. Yep, that'll do it. Cool. And everyone, go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to music, type in The Dead Century. And they have a new release coming out on February 28th. Make sure you all check that out. And stay tuned for some, you know, some new music for them. Thanks again, Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. And everyone, peace out. Get ready for another awesome interview next week. You're going to love it. Bye. Maybe this house is a shell And maybe I'm all alone